Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away. Let me speak for the love of Good morning, everyone. How the heck are you? This is Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShemp.net. My name is Glenn Cochran, the host of this unruly concoction and down the line over there, as if you were here in person, is your co-host, Ben Halwig. G'day, Ben. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? Not too bad. Ready for another exciting episode? Oh, you know me. Um, I wait all week for this. Uh, <laughs> and then I listen to it back the minute it, the minute it goes up. I listen to it back and uh, zone in on all my mistakes and, uh, and uh, <laughs> cringe and just hope no one picks them up. Luckily, so far, no one has. Hey, we, we don't make mistakes here, mate. No, that's right. That's right. Uh, no, like I, I didn't make one last week at all. <laughs> no, no, we all uh, fight for love. <laughs> uh. Uh, anyway, everybody, it's time to grab that hot cup of coffee and nestle in for the next hour or however the hell long it takes. Like we, we never land the hour um, because we're going to be discussing about movies of the occult and all the witchcraft, paganism, whatever other themes we can loosely tie into today's interview with uh, director Mark Bacatus. Mark is the writer and director of the new film Cult Girls, which was recently released on DVD through Umbrella Entertainment. He's going to be stepping in to talk about the film and all of the stuff that comes with it, so make sure you stay put for that. Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, and the Bonehead Weekly guys are also going to be along to pick apart the week that was. Uh, but for now, let's not waste any more time. We'll get straight into it, Ben. Let's look at some things that have been happening around us in the world of movies this week. Uh, well, the good news is that uh, no prominent celebrities appear to have died since last week, and that's great. Uh, 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 sorry, sorry, mate. Sorry to, <laughs> sorry to, sorry to correct you so early in the show, but uh, last week uh, we did, we in fact lost a titan of cinema. Uh, Dame Diana Rigg passed away. The, uh, I think, I think most. I hope that most listeners will know her from uh, things like the Avengers and uh, the Assassination Bureau and on Her Majesty's Secret Service, the James Bond film, yes. the last the last good James Bond film, as we uh, discussed last week. I, I certainly did know that she had passed away and it had just slipped my notes. Um, so thank you for picking me up on that. And what was disappointing was the headlines mostly read Game of Thrones actress dies. Yeah, which is like I pity those. I pity the people who only know Dana Rigg from Game of Thrones because uh, she was a absolutely luminous and like her films are like like the her like especially like I mentioned already, Assassination Bureau, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. They are great films. Like it's Oliver Reed, Oliver Reed and uh, Diana Rigg run around foiling assassinations. Like it is and committing assassinations. Like that film is is amazing. Yes. Well, I mean at least she had the grace to pass away in time for our episode. 
I think she was a you know long time listener, first time dyer, and uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, she, uh, well, she she heard our she heard our uh, pleas and uh, mate, you know, decided to help us out. Speaking of all things offensive, something that caught my attention this week was Gilbert Gottfried reciting the lyrics to "Wet Ass Pussy." Several days ago, did you happen to catch this? I I did not, but uh, shall I? Uh, I am looking forward to. Right. I'm looking forward to hearing Let, it. Let's do it. Put this pussy right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. Hop on top. I want a ride. I do a kegel while it's inside. Spit in my mouth. Look in my eyes. This. Pussy is wet. Come take a dive. <laughs> Imagine making love to that beast of a man. <laughs> That's, it's amazing. I tell you what that does. That makes me want to go watch the adventures of Ford Fairlane again. <laughs> and, and, and strangely enough, Aladdin. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, anyway, uh, what about, um, how is, VHS September going. Ah, it's going. It's going pretty well. Like uh, uh, we just had uh, what would Bruce Willis do, and uh, I do my own stunts. And my favorite, my favorite, actually, my favorite day of the uh, of the whole month is uh, shelf shelf life love, where collectors take pictures of their VHS shelves, and some of the setups are absolutely amazing. I can imagine. Have, like, have you nerdgasmed yet? I. <laughs> I, I've spilled nerd <laughs> nerd juice all over my keyboard numerous and phone numerous times this week. Oh, it's a hazard shit. of it's a hazard of quarantine. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, well here's something that's good for a laugh. Uh, as everybody would know by now, the Academy Awards have announced an introduction of new standards for Best Picture eligibility as part of their diversity and inclusion agenda. Starting in 2022, all films submitted must fit several criteria, including, and I'm not going to go through all of these because you know, there's a lot and it's, as far as I'm concerned, bullshit. Um, at least one of the lead actors or significant supporting actors has to be from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Um, and they're going to list what groups are eligible. At least 30% of all actors in secondary or more minor roles are from at least two of the following underrepresented groups, women, racial or ethnic, LGBTQI, or people with cognitive or physical disabilities or who are deaf and hard of hearing. And I didn't realise that women were underrepresented in film. Well, like, I mean, I, I know that they, they, they don't get leads and and uh like you know okay especially behind the camera and all that sort of stuff like i, I get that totally Mate. but i didn't think on camera like in terms of just like actual presence actual being there i didn't think that they, they were under well, uh, if that's the case but, therefore uh, that sh that should not be a hard requirement to <laughs> fill but like stuff like that's true lgbtqi take any one of those letters how do you know that these people are or aren't because the story then would have to revolve around that as a theme. Like, yeah. And quite frankly, it's none of anyone's business. Exactly. And I mean, we don't know looking at a screen, what people are, who people are. This is just yeah. absurd. The other one I was going to mention is that the main storyline of eligible films have to have themes or narratives centered on an underrepresented group. So 
I, this is so so absurd. And thankfully, the world has kind of you know balked at this idea, and they've kind of rejecting it in droves. The Oscars never do anything with integrity to begin with, right? Or sincerity. But this just feels like virtual signaling to the point that we're going to lose all integrity of film in general. Like we're instead of getting a film organically, they're being forced. The story's being forced. Yeah. Which I guess, look, I mean, on one hand, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with that because I think that's how things start. Like you lay that, you lay that groundwork until it becomes just a given, and then it no longer is doesn't is, is doesn't even need to be said anymore because it's just part of the the culture. I think it is. I think it is weird though that um, the percentages seem to be higher than the actual percentage of the population that they're supposed to represent. Like, I, like I, I don't like. I mean, African Americans do not make up fifty percent of the population in in the U.S. They don't make up thirty percent, as far as I know. Yeah. So, so why in film they have to like? I mean, it's not an accurate reflection of society, which to me, I mean, I, I would have thought that's what they're going for. That, but that's an excellent that's, point. That's, that's and that's in front of the screen. Like, I mean, in front of the screen is really, I, I think. I'm um, look. I, I guess, yeah, with Chad, Chadwick Boseman and, and Black Panther and, and what that film meant to a lot of people, I, like I said, I can, I can see that it is, it is important, but I would have thought it's more important behind the screen so that the stories that are being told are actually more representative of a diverse range of people. But, you know, look, this is, the, the fact of the matter is Hollywood and Hollywood is based on money like the, what gets made is totally based on what they think is going to make the money and every time they have a um i mean have a look at adult dramas like they're probably the biggest uh kind of genre i guess that have have been disappearing from from hollywood studio films because they they don't make the 400 million dollars and all that sort of stuff but every time one does it's like reinventing the wheel like they're like oh my god like this obviously proves that people are interested in adult drama so we must make more and then the next 10 films that come out of marvel movies like <laughs> yeah and it's the same with you know like things like oceans eight and stuff like that you know may or may not do have done i, I actually don't know if it did really well or not but you know comes out is successful and like obviously these these uh, female centric action films or, or like heist films are really popular like let's make five more and it doesn't happen well what about like yeah, let's, let's look reason. at it before we move on let's look at that exactly what you're saying though when they actually do produce some of these films that do fit these criteria i'm talking about hidden figures which address females and african-american stories uh you talk yep. green book these films either hidden figures for example where does it go nowhere like it's in the ether now no one's talking about it um yeah. green book came and got criticized because it was made by jewish white guys you know, like yeah, and it is, and it is a, it, like the whole film is about a, a white guy teaching a, a, a black guy about yeah you know, how it is, how to how to live like a like a real person. I would you know, come on. true, this but is a bit. I would a, argue, it is a bit on the nose. I would argue they changed each other for the better, and that they did, and it yeah. it, it also highlighted a part of America that people probably never knew a green book existed, and you know yeah, and it is it is quite odd that you know they would. You know that there were sections of the community that would balk at, at um, you know, someone like a a, a character that's highly educated, mm. and you know, and a feat, like, and that's a saying that's a that's a bad thing. Like, I mean, surely that uh, that's just representation. Like, not everything has to be you know Detroit. <laughs> yeah. 
like yeah you know, they can, can movies can just be can be light dramas like that's completely allowed and the you know oh, well, mate, I, yeah it's just a shame i i feel completely depleted of oxygen because i think you know that's just far too deep for my liking so um we're gonna just roll <laughs> on with the punches and uh in a in a few minutes we're going to attempt to look like we know what we're talking about um but first i think that's i think that's impossible man I, i've never <laughs> i've never known what i'm talking about uh well yeah halfway usually halfway between in sentences i forget what i was talking well, about at the start was, and just nah, gonna make it up as i go along you did a pretty good job of it mate um first we'll let jarrett have his way with everybody. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now, there is a ton of distributors releasing titles this week, which is very exciting. However, there's only one title that's going to make its way to high definition. That's right, only one title getting released on Blu-ray. Everything else is coming out in DVD. So unless I say it's coming out on Blu-ray, it's coming out in DVD. So let's kick off with Mad Men Entertainment. They've got a film coming out called Lazy Susan. Now, this is co-written and starring Sean Hayes of Will and Grace fame. You'll know him. He played Jack in Will and Grace. Now, Sean Hayes plays the titular character in this one, and it's a comedy about a woman on the edge with nowhere to go. That's correct. Sean Hayes is playing a lady in this movie. Woke Hollywood will be so angry. No. Admittedly, I haven't seen it, but it's a comedy. I'm looking forward to checking it out, as I am a fan of Sean's podcast that he does with Jason Bateman and Will Arnett called Smartless. If you actually haven't heard that podcast, do yourself a favour and give it a stream. Then there's Wendy coming out from Mad Men. Wendy is a modern reimagining of Peter Pan. Yes, yes, I know what you're thinking. I've seen it all before. But you haven't quite seen it like this. This is a very moody, more atmospheric piece than it is a simple sort of reimagining as such. And it's from the director of Beasts of the Southern Wild. So that probably gives you a bit of an indication as what to expect. Then Eagle Entertainment, they're releasing, God, they're releasing quite a few releases this week, but I will only talk about one release specifically, and that is Satanic Panic. It's directed by Chelsea Stardust, and this is one of the Fangoria Presents titles. We played it at Monster Fest around Australia last year. It's fun and funny. It's about a cult, and it has a very sleazy Jerry O'Connell in it, so I definitely recommend checking that one out. Then also out from Eagle are Pay Dirt, Arthur and Merlin, A Dark Place, and a title called Horse Camp. It's got a tagline that says, A Love Tale. Tale is in, like, you know, horse's tail. Uh, and it, on the artwork, it features a girl blowing a kiss at a horse. Now, this is the G-rated cut. Of course, the R-rated cut has the girl blowing... <laughs> well, you get the idea. <laughs> anyway, last distributor putting things out this week that is new is Roadshow, and they've got Scoob coming out on DVD and Blu-ray. That's correct. The only title getting a Blu-ray release this week is effectively a kid's film. It's a modern animated Scooby-Doo feature, and it was another casualty of COVID-19. Um, obviously, all the cinema shut down, so it ended up debuting on premium VOD ahead of this week's physical release. So that's the only title that's getting a Blu-ray release this week. Then the only other distributor releasing titles this week is Universal Sony, and everything they're putting out are just reissues of old Paramount and DreamWorks catalogue DVDs. So everything from Election and Drop Zone, Escape from LA, uh, Disturbia, Kiss the Girls, Pay Dirt, Galaxy Quest, Event Horizon... You get the idea. So anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. <laughs> Within each of us, there is a thin line. People are dying here. I want to know why. Between reality and illusion. Are you ready for my wisdom? What's going on here? Harry Damore is about to cross that line. I'm so much power to give you. Stop looking! 
Jeez, Ben, this this is going to be interesting. Neither of us really know what we're doing here, so no doubt we're going to look like a couple of buffoons. <laughs> when I everyone when I pitched this idea of talking about occult films as a topic, Ben said that he didn't really have much knowledge to contribute, to which I replied, neither do I. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, we're not going to pull the rug over your eyes here. We have fuck all knowledge, to be honest with you. Occult movies, we know some, we like some. Um, but I doubt that either one of us could really go deep on the themes or historical aspects of any of them. Would you say that's about right? Yeah, that's probably true. I, I mean, for me, that's probably true for most uh, film genres. <laughs> but uh, are we talking? Are we talking occult or cult? Occult. So we're talking devil worship, paganism, folk horror. So maybe what right. we'll do? Um, maybe I'll just reel off a few titles and just see if any of them stick. All right. But firstly, when it comes to like occult movies or folk horror, what comes to your mind? Uh, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is is probably uh, Wicker Man. Yeah, that's the that's the kind of big. I mean, that's folk horror and Kill List, which is kind of very, yeah. very Wicker Man kind of esque. Um, I also think of uh, uh, fantastic films like uh, The Death Wheelers. Yeah, right. Which, uh, or Psychomania, as it was also known. I think that's how it was released here, which is about a, a motorcycle gang who, who worship Satan. And uh, if, they truly, if they truly believe in Satan and kill themselves, they will be reborn and become immortal. All right. And some of, them, some of them don't believe as much as others. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool film. Chris, um, what's his name? Uh, the Chris Sanders is Christopher Sanders, I think George Sanders, the one that's not uh, the head of KFC, uh, <laughs> is uh, is in it. He, like he's an old butler in it, um, but it's a, it's got a great and it's got a great soundtrack to it. It's a it's a yeah, really cool. it's a really great film. Do you remember Do you remember uh, Virgin Witch? Oh, I do remember it, not from seeing it. I remember it as just a title that was in my sort of you know because it's from memory it came out it came out here on video under that um redemption label where they put out things like Satist erotica and <laughs> vicious lips and not vicious lips um uh kiss me monster and all that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff they were like i think they were it was the kind of precursor to severin gotcha. uh, in in the states and virgin which was this had this great it was like these two uh sisters who were models get hired for this gig by the, the, the modeling booker agent is this really kind of disgusting pervy lesbian <laughs> who um, is also the talent scout for this Satanistic cult that uh, sacrifice. Obviously they don't sacrifice virgins because this was, this movie was made in kind of like the swinging sixties. And so the girls are anything like yeah, fairly promiscuous, but uh, they invite them out to this, you know, mansion, Mm-hmm. uh it's for a for a photo shoot which in turn they you know but they actually want to sacrifice them to uh to satan um right. and look another another great one that i actually watched not too long ago is race with the devil have you seen have you seen that i have not with um warren oates it's got all great cast it's peter fonda warren oates and loretta swit from mash who played hot lips in mash the tv series not mm-hmm. the movie is Sally Kellerman and they're they're uh two couples I can't for the life of me remember who the other the other partner is but it's I think it's Warren Oates and Loretta Switter together and Peter Fonda and the other woman and uh, are together and they have an uh, they rent it like this RV and they go to travel across the countryside to do um they want to do some dirt bike riding and hunting and all that kind of stuff and 
they run afoul in this caravan park. They, I believe, they run afoul of these kind of uh, cultists, kind of kind of people, and they escape. Like they have this kind of like they no, they that's right. They witness their camping one night, and they witness this ritual where someone gets sacrificed, but they get spotted. And so while, and so they take off and they literally leave the state. They travel across a couple of states, but all the way they are dogged by these cult members. Like, and it's (laughs) not just from behind, like that people are coming to meet them from in front. They stop at gas stations that are actually run by the cult. Like it's this massive conspiracy. It is, it is an awesome film. Sounds a bit bit like uh, fractions of Dr. Sleep. I wouldn't know. I I don't watch new movies, man. Uh, some of the movies that would like, if you were to ask me, um, you know, what I would think of a cult movies, the ones that. Hey, Glenn, come... Glenn, what, would, what do you think is a cult movie? <laughs> that was lame. Um, okay, so the ones, <laughs> the ones I would come up with, without having to, you know, consult Google, would be obviously Haxon, Witchcraft Through the Ages, which I think is a stunning film from what nineteen twenty two or something like that. Um, quite often pops up with like live um, compositions with DJs and things doing a new score. Uh, obviously, The Craft, Ninth Gate, Rosemary's Baby, Neon Demon, um, Warlock. I think Warlock is you know one that sort of. Oh, what a great film! Really, what a great, what a great, what two great films. Warlock Two is stunning, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I still haven't seen Warlock Three. Armageddon is it Warlock Three? Armageddon? No, that's number two. Two, two is Armageddon. Yeah, number three is Age of Innocence. Uh, but I didn't like it when they replaced. Julian Sands with Bruce Payne. <laughs> no, I think Bruce... we. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We did a podcast on the trilogy, and you know, the three of us, myself, Jared, and Sean, watched all three. And by the time three came around, mate, it was a slog. Like number one, two, love it. Number three, whew, my goodness. I think like Bruce Payne has made a career out of playing like like Julian Sands had a a pretty decent career in uh, like British kind of period dramas and stuff before. Yep started playing weird, creepy albino villains in things. Yep. Bruce Payne, I think that's pretty much all this guy is like, you need a creepy villain. Bruce Payne's your man. You know what other, you know what other ones I kind of like? I like Argento's Three Mothers trilogy. I think that's, they're really good films for the occult. I think I've only seen two of them. I don't think I've seen the third. The third one's Mother of Tears. Yeah, which I haven't is seen more that. recent. It's obviously the lesser of the three, but I think they're all pretty strong. Yeah. You know, late last week, um, I watched Brian Usner's Faust, Love of the Damned. Like, this is a total right. B-movie, but God damn, it appreciated so well. I have watched it a few times over the years, but damn, it's way ahead of its time, and it's really grotesque, and it's all about the occult. So it's about a guy. It's very similar to Spawn and, you know, uh, what's the other one that uh, Drive Angry, where guy sells his soul to the devil and becomes like a vengeful sort of action comic book hero but you know when brian usner loves his body horror and he gets into orgies and all that kind of stuff Uh, shuntings shuntings this one this one has that to boot man i love it like i like i mean like i i haven't i actually haven't seen faust but uh i i do remember uh drive angry and thinking that uh (laughs) Is possibly it possibly has one of the greatest uh, Nick Cage action sequences ever committed to film, and for Nick Cage that is saying something. But that scene where he's he's having he's having sex with a girl from NYPD Blue, <laughs> and then the demons come in and he's like he's killing dudes left and right, and, center, and he's still having sex with while still 
Mm-hmm. She's still connected to him. Drive anger is, is a... Drive anger is really good. Like, it's, uh, who was it? Was it Patrick Lucia? I think directed that one. If I'm if I'm not mistaken. Well, anyway, no, I've got no idea. I don't, that movie is not a director. <laughs> yeah, a, 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 yeah. The director of that film wasn't necessarily that important. Well, it's the he guy that it's, it's the guy that made My Bloody Valentine the remake. With the, and amazingly, that's the one that has the 3D full frontal <laughs> yes. nudity scene. Where uh. you're like. Oh, maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe it is a director's thing like i need to find out what other what what other weird shit this guy's made what's going on everybody it's Guillermo here again from screenrealm.com happy to be back on another episode of good movie monday let's talk a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week Starting off with the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, announcing a pretty big change up when it comes to what boxes films will have to tick off to even be considered for the Best Picture Oscar. New representation and inclusion standards are being put forth as part of the Academy Awards 2025 Academy Aperture Initiative. Starting from the Academy Awards in 2024, a feature film must have met two or four standards to be deemed eligible for Best Picture consideration. Among the standards is on-screen representation themed to narratives, which includes ensuring lead actors or supporting actors are from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group, and the main storyline, theme, or narrative of the film is centered on underrepresented groups as well. The standards also include creative leadership and project team pushes. You can jump on Screen Realm to check out the full list of those considerations and what it means filmmakers will have to do. It's certainly a big move from the Academy to drive that initiative, and it will certainly be caused controversy. There's no doubt that inclusion and representation are important, but there's debate on whether or not holding back a film from award recognition is the way to do it. There's also the matter of whether these conditions could or should dictate how filmmakers tackle their narratives. And it's official, Sidney Prescott is returning. Screen franchise star Neve Campbell has signed on the dotted line and will be reprising her role as Sidney Prescott in the upcoming fifth screen movie. Neve Campbell will be joining previously announced returning castmates David Arquette and Courtney Cox, as well as a number of new faces including Jack Quaid, Melissa Barrera, and Dylan Minnette. Screen 5 is scheduled to open in Australian cinemas on January 13th and US cinemas on January 14th, 2022. And before he takes Tom Cruise literally into space, director Doug Liman will be undertaking something a little more down to earth. Doug Liman, known for Edge of Tomorrow, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, The Born Identity, and the upcoming Tom Cruise in actual space movie, will be at the helm of Lockdown, a heist movie slash romantic comedy to be led by Oscar winner Anne Hathaway. The film will be set against the backdrop of the pandemic lockdown, and the screenplay comes from Stephen Knight, whose credits include Eastern Promises and Peaky Blinders. Expected to be made for under $10 million, the modest budget film will be shot in London from this September. There are a number of key roles, although no other cast members have been announced. Deadline reports that Cillian Murphy could be in talks, although it points out that that's far from a sure thing at this time. It hasn't even come out yet, but Netflix is showing strong confidence with what Zack Snyder has in store with Army of the Dead. Snyder's upcoming Dave Bautista starring zombie action heist film set to hit Netflix in 2021 is already spawning a prequel movie and an anime series, with Snyder producing the former and executive producing the latter. In case you hadn't heard of it, Army of the Dead will follow a group of mercenaries as they attempt to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted. The heist will take place in Las Vegas, and of course it's a world covered by zombies. So the Army of the Dead screen universe is officially on the way. We had a couple of reviews go up in the past week. One for Buffaloed, a money-focused comedy starring Zoe Dutch and Jai Courtney. John Noonan reviewed that one, enjoying the film's energy and in particular Zoe Dutch's great performance. He gave it three and a half out of five stars. We also had Glenn review Netflix sequel, The Babysitter Killer Queen. He really enjoyed the first film, as did I. Unfortunately, this sequel 
sucks. He gave it one and a half stars out of five. Jump on Screen Realm to check out that review. We also have a new movie giveaway up right now. This one for horror comedy Satanic Panic, which Eagle Entertainment releases in Australia on September 16th. So jump on the website to enter and be sure to check out the trailer if you haven't. It's a fun little horror film. That's it for me, guys. Thanks so much for having me once again. Catch you next week. Anyway, Ben, continuing our conversation, um, I like to think that I've heard of a lot of occult films, even if I haven't seen them, because you know there are loads of titles I recognize, perhaps haven't seen. Um, but when you go digging, there is so much out there, so many obscure titles. So I'm going to reel off a few that I haven't seen, but they're names that pop up every now and then. Uh, you probably own a lot of these. I don't know. Have you? What about Satan's Slave, 1976? No, Satan's no. Slave. I know, no. I, I saw the poster, I'm like, I want to watch this. Uh, Daughters of Satan, 1972. Legacy of Satan, 1974. Uh, the Mephisto Waltz from 71. And one that I really want to watch is Letters, hang on, what is it? No, Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun. I have actually seen, I actually have seen Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun. Is it good? Of all of the ones you mentioned, that's the one I've seen. It's, it the, one I, it's the one I couldn't get my tongue around. Yeah, it's a filthy... Uh, uh, softcore, almost softcore porn film wow, <laughs> about the the, uh, the the evils that go on behind convent walls. Ooh. Back when back when parents sold their daughters to convents <laughs> uh, and stuff. Oh, well, you know um, what? I, I look. I personally think I've let the ball drop on this subject. I mean, I've dedicated my life to films, and I should be far more up to scratch with this stuff when it comes to witchcraft films well i mean the fun look the funny thing is like I've, i mean we, like we've both seen a lot of them i've seen i've seen a lot of them but i didn't i never really thought of them as kind of a cult film like we talked about spellbinder a couple of weeks ago um you know at, after the passing of kelly preston and that's that's definitely a kind of a cult uh, an, an occult film um you know and they're they're kind of they're interwoven in even into a lot of you know kids films and stuff there's a lot sure. of kind of occult elements and stuff um but it's just it's not it's not a genre that i've actually like sat down and gone i want to watch there's yeah. a checklist of all these occult films i want to see like they're just like that's not the reason why i want to see them like stuff like the invitation um you know could kind of i guess could kind of pass one br i mean i guess these are more cult films rather than occult films Hey, I'm glad you. I'm glad you said one br because we should probably let listeners know that the director of that film, David Marmo, is going to be on the show in a few weeks' time. So, anyway, oh, as, as you were, that would be a, that would be a good listen because um, that was one of a, one of my favorite films that came out of Monster Fest uh, last year. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, it's a it's a and it's a it's a it's a good contained um, kind of you know um, paranoia filled cult film. Yeah, like you know, really good stuff. Um, hey, I just thought, um, oh, what's the name of it? There's something I wanted to ask you about. Um, well, witchcraft films. Oh, that's it, witchcraft, the witchcraft series. Witchcraft. Oh, the with Julie Strain. Yes, that one. Do you own any of these? Uh, I think I've got no. I don't have a witchcraft. I've got a witch witch board. I've got a witch board film, is it, is it but not a witchcraft. Witchcraft has, I think, 16 installments. Yes. And yes. I think for the most part, maybe aside from three of them, they all have the same character 
linking them. So it's not like linking they're them. it's not like they're exactly standalone films. It actually is a character narrative going through all you know at least thirteen of them. Yeah, and I think they're they like they're made on budgets of like seventy to eighty dollars uh, <laughs> a film. Surely the first one was in like nineteen eighty eight. That was quite a video released, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but they're still. I mean, like, aren't they kind of? Um, I keep forgetting. I need to. I need to quickly have a look at look it up. But are they Dave Sterling films? They might be. Dave oh, Sterling. How's this for irony? What we were just talking about a minute ago. The the most recent witchcraft is witchcraft sixteen Hollywood Coven. Hollywood Coven. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a great. Uh... And that would have been 2016, around about the time American Horror Story did their Coven series. The Coven series. Well, actually, I mean, Hollywood Coven, speaking of which, did you see Satanic Panic? No, but it's on everyone's lips at the moment. Uh, I mean, that was a pretty good, that was a pretty good film. And it does, it deals once again with a, with the Hollywood, uh, Hollywood Coven. That's released this week, yeah? I think it has been picked up. It definitely has been picked up locally, I think. Eagle, maybe? Um, neither of us were paying attention to Jarrett when he reeled off the new releases for the week. I believe it is. I think it's I think it's Eagle. Um, I was too busy listening to horses for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's Rebecca Romain and Jerry, o, Jerry O'Connell uh, gives the sleazy performance of a lifetime in Satanic Panic. Like, he is amazing. Um, there's also a giant... Uh, uh, motorized strap-on dildo, <laughs> like a like a, it's like a like a as a kind of killing machine in it. There's some there's some of my my all-time favorite things uh, uh, in films is uh, uh, little kids being uh, punched in the face. I, I thoroughly enjoy those th- those scenes in it. Chelsea, I think Chelsea Stardust has done a pretty good job with that film, um, which I think I don't think it's her first film. Um, I think she she had she did have one prior, but um, I don't think she'd done anything for. I think it'd been a long time between drinks, so it is a it was a definite uh, a kind of discovery for us when we played it at Monster Fest uh, last year or the year last year. So. Right. <clears throat> No, I only saw your uh, comment in the chat. (laughs) Okay, welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. As I was trying to explain it to James, if you ever walked up and you wanted to meet a lady and you said, hi, I'm James Thomas, and I really like solar babies, that explains who I am. Wait, if he's James Thomas, who am I? I'm Winston Churchill. You're the solar babies. It's it's Dr. Babies, sir. (laughs) Dr. Baby? It's Dr. Solar (laughs) Baby. Yes. I didn't spend 15 years getting a solar baby doctor school. (laughs) So that's what we wanted to talk about. If there's a movie out there that sums you up as a person, not necessarily sums you up, but it gives people a, how should I put this, an insight into your personality, what would that be? So 
the boneheads have each come up with a movie that does that. Who would like to go first? Go ahead, Joe. You go. Mine yeah. is probably Blazing Saddle. Here's the reason why. I probably borderline racist. Oh wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's more than borderline. The no, thing no, is, is that Blazing Saddles. The question I always hear is, can you still make Blazing Saddles? I don't really even give a shit about that question. You can make whatever you want to if you figure out a way. They made Borat ten years ago. The thing is, is Blazing Saddles is still relevant culturally, still funny, and still holds true. And it's still about a bunch of dumbass white people and being afraid. And that's what the movie's about. And they're stupid. Only it was still timely. So yeah. if you think Blazing Saddles is racist or that it's unfunny or it's culturally insensitive, it can be culturally insensitive, then we're probably not going to be able to hang out. All right. James, you want to go? You know, I can go because actually I'm going to do this exactly the way Joe posted as if I was going, because oddly enough, when my wife, now wife, we weren't, she didn't marry me before. I mean, we were just. No, she was married to another guy and you took her away. We made sure he's Tell the story, James. I don't want to have to cut all this. uh, The, uh, no. So I actually had three movies. She, we were dating and I have a big collection of movies. I still buy movies on Blu-ray and stuff. We said one. And I picked three films, three films off my shelf because she goes, which of these should I watch? And I, I gave her three. Here's the three, Seven Seal, Red Violin, and Buffalo 66. There you go. That's how I introduced myself through films to my wife. Because Buffalo 66 is about a screwed up relationship. I don't don't buy Red Violin. Ask her. Red Violin. I I get it. I don't doubt that you didn't say it. I just don't know that I buy it sums you up. But keep going. You can't play play an instrument for shit. Red Violin. I don't give a shit what color it is. Red Violin, I think, is just a weird movie. I mean, it's got Samuel L. Jackson in it in a supporting role. And at the end of it, I mean, not to give it away, but who the violin ends up going to after you follow everything is really sweet. Yeah, and it's all about a drum set, so it's misleading. Chad. All right, so I was thinking when I just, when you all when Joe came up with this topic, I was like, well, I'll pick one of the obvious choices of my 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 movie loves, but I'm just like, no. Uh, when I when I thought about it more, I wanted to pick a movie that is goofy, absurd, and sometimes has a downright bizarre sense of humor. Oh, um, an extremely and, goofy movie. Yeah, and also much like no, shut up. Also much like my sanity, pretty much out of print. Uh, I'm talking about 1993's Freaked. That's a good one. Alex Thank Winter. You. Alex directed, Winter. directed by Tom Stern and Alex Winter, who also stars. The movie tells the story of Ricky Coogan, you know, a spoiled former child star who becomes a spokesperson for the evil everything except shoes corporation. And by the way, if you want to hear about child stars, uh, Google Jackie Coogan sometime. Yeah. Fascinating story. Yeah. And it's, it, it's a gag in the movie. Uh, but he's uh, hired to sell a chemical called Zygrot, Zygrot 27. Um, but uh, anyway, while he's trying to do this, he stumbles upon a sideshow freak show. And he soon becomes a uh, exhibit in the freak show. And, uh, you know, it has Mr. T as the bearded lady, Bobcat Goldthwait as a man with a pop suck, sock puppet for a head. And two Rastafarian, Rastafarian eyeball, uh, sorry, and two Rastafarian eyeball security guards. I thought he was going to go with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, no, I went with 1993's Freaked. If you haven't right. seen it, good luck finding a copy of it because it's out of print. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you find us attractive, watch those movies. I think that's what this is about. <laughs> anyway, it's been Bonehead Weekly Fun Zone. We're, we're getting sued by those people that made that movie for their loss of sales. <laughs> Thank you. Seems three years, way before 
Well, God damn it, indeed. Uh, if that's not a wake-up call to our 6am listeners, then I'll be damned. Speaking of damned, that song was Everyone I Love Is Dead by Typo Negative, taken from the soundtrack to Brian Usner's underrated comic book movie from the year 2000, Faust, Love of the Damned. And that song was pretty much my lousy attempt to segue to our special guest for this episode. I'm sure a lot of folks around Melbourne town know his work. Perhaps his latest film, Cult Girls, will introduce him to the rest of the world. Of course, I'm talking about writer-director Mark Bacatus. Hey, Mark, thanks for taking time to hang out on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Glenn. It's awesome to uh, see you and hear from you, uh, especially during this time. We see each other around the traps all the time, but never really have uh, have a moment to actually stop and talk. I think, um, you know, festivals like Monster Fest, it's pretty crazy. You know, you're running in and out of films and running to the bar and uh, <laughs> it's, it's a crazy crazy kind of time but I always see your face and I'm always see you in the distance and um, <laughs> I'm glad I sort of uh, saw you uh, last year after Cult Girls. Uh, sometimes I like to hide in the shadows mate it's where I belong. Well it's funny when you go to a festival like that you just kind of spend three days in darkness watching horror films and uh, going to the bar a lot and uh, it's a good space to put yourself in. <laughs> Sure is. Well, so let's not waste any time. Cult Girls, mate, I'm a big fan. Congratulations on the release. Thank you. Um, I'm, it's just a dream come true to have it on Umbrella, who is, you know, one of my favourite labels in Australia. And uh, to, to be amongst the calibre of those films is awesome. Definitely is. Like, there's no one better and it's a perfect home for your film. So, And I saw the original um film it uh, I saw it on its original festival run which I think was the world premiere take us back to that like where did cult girls come from in the first place well it was it was funny uh we were looking at doing a documentary about that cult called the family obviously before someone else did it and um so we did a little bit of research about cults and started looking into all this sort of stuff and I thought geez you'd have to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist to uh tackle a project like that and interview all the victims and I thought there's you know even if we got the green light there's no way I'd be able to handle doing something like that I think uh I'm, I just don't have the temperament probably <laughs> um so then I started developing uh, a script uh, about a cult and I had a chance to travel to Europe to Lithuania and Germany and I thought well let's try and base this film around <clears throat> some of my favorite 60s and 70s uh, occult horror films, folk horror films, directors like uh, Jean Rollin and Jess Franco. I was just very influenced by those films, you know, Blood on Satan's Claw, uh, obviously The Wicker Man, all those classics, and uh, went from there really, uh, just a very guerrilla style in Europe, and then came back and <clears throat> it took a long time to just complete and get all the money and scrape it together. Uh, it, it was really a labour of love. We didn't have any funding and uh, it was great to have it finished and premiere at Monster Fest. Well, yeah, mate. I mean, I was going to ask you about that production, like, and where you shot it, but you've answered my question, which is awesome. But how long overall did it take from conception to release? It was probably four years. Wow. Uh, four and a bit years, yeah. So it takes a long time doing an independent film. Uh, and even though I keep myself busy with a lot of short films and music documentaries and music videos and projects like that it's been a long time since I've done a, a full-length feature film 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think 2000 was the last time you released a feature film. And I think it's safe to say that this one is obviously far bigger and much more ambitious, not to mention more accomplished. Yeah. Um, and even though even though you've worked in film and video production throughout those years, was there anything about Cult Girls that caught you off guard or maybe provided valuable lessons moving forward? Oh, look, obviously, I think if you're going to make a feature film, you have to have your plan up front, like as much pre-production as you can do, get a producer on board, try and get the producers offset, all those sort of things. Um, but we just rushed into it pretty blindly. And, and really, even though, <laughs> even though the footage we shot in Europe was, was so visually stunning, we had to build the rest of the story around what was already shot. So that sort of already caused a few restraints in a way. Um, but I just was adamant about using that footage most you know, independent Australian movies, uh, the, they're not shot in uh, another country. And I felt that was something that set it aside. Absolutely, without a doubt. And as I think I stated in my review, it's a it's a visceral um, delight. Like, it's like a delicacy, this film. And, you know, I just could not get enough of those juicy morsels of what you're putting on the screen. I didn't necessarily make a lot of sense of the narrative, if I'm honest with you, but that is the whole appeal to, to me is that I can go back and watch it and get more from it every time I see it. Have you had that kind of response from people? Uh, yeah, look, I think it divides people. I think uh, especially we were very lucky to finish the film in Los Angeles. Like we were struggling to finish the film and we had some uh, a couple of executive producers come on board and I think they were trying to sort of make it more like a, a an American genre film or try and sort of make it a, a little bit more cliche, but it was too late to go back. And uh, it just it had that European, very kind of uh, symbolic sort of film. Um, so, you know, it, it is what it is, really. Yeah, for sure. And actually, now you just said that, it made me think that there's a lot in there that's very similar to, what's the music video director who made the um, Lords of uh, Chaos? Uh, was it Ackerland? Is that's that his it. Name? That's it. Yes, you you definitely have a style that's you know rings true you know with his work, and maybe you know hopefully along the way you can sort of piggyback on uh, some of his success and and get his fans on board. Well, that'd be fantastic. I think that film got criticised a bit because obviously they were telling uh, a European story with a you know about Nor uh, Norwegian black metal scene, and it was a uh, you know with American actors and a bit of a, a American viewpoint, even though that guy, obviously, you know, he, he played in Bathory, you know, so yeah. he was there at the time and he had all the connections. Um, but I think, you know, black metal fans are, are always hard to please. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very underground scene. And I think no matter who made that film, it would have got criticised. Yeah, I Totally think you're right. Um, but how close like, did the tone and the overall look of Cult Girls come to what you intended creating? I was really um, happy with the, the look and the feel of the film is exactly what I wanted to do. It just, and I think that's a lot to do with the locations. We shot at a lot of, you know, the places in Lithuania were like, you know, centuries old. Uh, obviously the Hill of Crosses in Lithuania is a very famous place. Uh, and then even back in Australia, we, you know, filmed out the Sunbury Asylum, you know, there was a, um, what, what do they call it when they burn the bodies, you know, like the a crematorium that was yep. still kind of there. 
you know, we've we filmed in some really creepy um, basement warehouses in forests. So all these locations just really added to the mood, you know, and uh, we didn't have much budget. So everyone's cold and, you know, it, it just, uh, you know, they we're doing nude scenes in the forest. Uh, so it all just helped create that, uh, I guess, very dark uh, tone. For sure. Well, it's all on the screen to see, mate. It's like, well done. Um, what were like, what were some of your motivating influences going into the film to begin with? And then as the four years you know, went on, were there any new influences that crept in? Um, look, as I said before, I was, you know, very influenced by all the classic 1960s and 70s uh, folk horror films. But it was interesting uh, during the time I made it, like halfway through, I went to the premiere of a film like The Witch at MIFF, you know. So um, it was kind of like the start of this kind of folk horror boom. And I was like, wow, at least even though my film was very low budget and my script might not be developed as as those films, uh, you know, obviously Midsummer and uh, Hereditary even had a little bit of that vibe about it as well. I thought at least I'm on the zeitgeist. So uh, when I saw The Witch, I was like, wow, this is, this is exactly... Um, what I'm trying to do, but obviously I'm doing it at a lower budget. Uh, and obviously he, he was meticulously planned that film. I think it, that took him a long time to, to really realize that film. Well, if, um, if I can say so, I, I prefer your film over his. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I think the thing, I think the thing I learned from, um, you know, going to the States and, and seeing what other genre filmmakers do you know you've got to have certain elements you know gore is one of them practical effects you know um and with the budget you know there was a some of that which i couldn't really do i would have liked to have have, have done more in those areas you know had a bit more gore and 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 really uh good real real sort of onset effects yeah no totally and well look you should be proud of the film i mean the it's in the title cult it's the stuff of cult cinema so let's hope it does establish such a following do you plan on making any more features and and if so like what might we have to look forward to look at the moment i'm working with umbrella um on a musical documentary about the history of melbourne and australian record stores so that'll that that's going to be the next project we tackle um i'd love to do another feature film and uh, the American um, executive producers were like, oh, you've got to do a Cult Girls too." And I was just like, oh, I don't know if I'd have the energy, but we'll see what happens. We'll see if I can uh, raise some funds and uh, do something. I'd definitely love to do something in the horror genre again, for sure. Oh, well, Cult Girls too. it could be like your, um, it could be your, Cult Girls could be your Evil Dead to Evil Dead 2. You know, it might be the, the stepping stone to something big. I had an idea about... Um, shooting in Chernobyl and then when I was in LA I saw the big billboard for the series and I'm like oh there's that idea gone because before before that series you could you could pay extra and go in there you know obviously the radiation for short periods of time and I thought what about if I just shot my exteriors there and then came back to Australia and shot in some bunker or something but uh that idea went out the window. Oh, mate. The series came out. We had somebody on the show a couple of weeks ago who um, is a paranormal investigator and spent a lot of time in Chernobyl and uh, said that it, there's no place creepier on Earth in the daytime. I, I would love to um, go there. Uh, uh, that sounds 
a bit weird, but I would, I'd love to uh, see that space. Oh, as would I. Uh, well, as I said at the top of the show, we have copies of Cult Girls to give away, thanks to Umbrella Entertainment. So keep listening because we're going to be telling you how to win those in a few minutes' time. But Mark, thanks for taking the time to drop in, mate. It's been rad talking with you. Let's hope the film keeps kicking some serious ass. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. Now, I don't know what's been going on with me lately, but I have been recommending movies that are not genres that I would normally align myself with. So this week I am coming at you with another Western. Yes, I know, a Western. Uh, This one is Open Range. Now, this show is called Good Movie Recommendation, and that's what I'm doing. I'm recommending a good movie to you that you probably missed. Uh, I watched Unforgiven a couple of weeks ago and it got me red hot. It got me back onto the Western train and I remembered this one. And the reason why I remembered this one is this one has arguably, well, inarguably, one of the best shootouts in movie history. This is a slow burn. Uh, It is a three-piece. Kevin Costner is front and centre of this movie, so, you know, he is the star and he is the director. And he's offered amazing support here by Robert Duvall, who is just synonymous with westerns, with Lonesome Dove and stuff like that. And Annette Bening, yeah, is fantastic. Um, This movie is about grazers, uh, people that are moving their cattle and basically, you know, grass is free and their cows are allowed to eat until someone, (laughs) played here by Michael Gambon, with real Irish relish decides that they're not allowed to do that and beats up some of their men and it leads to an encounter as I mentioned uh, that just is absolutely rock and roll so you might go okay like this is a two hour 20 minute movie when is this really going to kick off but just be patient because when it kicks off it kicks off so bad and it it just kicks an unholy amount of ass and when Costner wants to be he can be an excellent director Uh, you just can go and revisit Dances with Wolves as well if you want to check that out so uh, I'm going to break trend here I'm not going to give this one five stars I'm going to give it four Uh, it is it's very very good I mean it's got an excellent Duval performance which elevates basically any film and as the title suggests open range the vistas in this movie are absolutely beautiful and this movie is almost 20 years old and what it has is that it has a natural beauty that Costner captures here and it doesn't have that digital sheen they're not trying to make things look bigger here the world is big uh, and it's uh, yeah, populated with vicious gunfights open range check it out Open range, man. That is a, that's a good movie. You know, um, in fact, Matthew Holmes, the director of Ben Hall, Legend of Ben Hall, and I talked about Open Range oh, several months ago on this show, and it's one of his favourite films. And yeah, that's a beauty. Have you, you've seen that one? It, funnily enough, it is the first film that I ever saw on Blu-ray. Uh, I, I went around to it was i went around to a friend of mine's father who was like like a real kind of early adopter kind of guy like anytime a new technology would come out in terms of uh video yeah he would he would snap it up and he he had a blu-ray and a like a he had the blu-ray player and the like a hd tv like back when it was like a 50 it had the 50 millimeter 50 millisecond refresh rate or whatever (laughs) it is like it was um and he had the surround sound set up and he put on open range and i remember thinking like and i had i had by that stage i think i had seen it on was it video or dvd like i was working at the video store at the time when it came out and i quite i i'd enjoyed the film i thought it was a bit odd because they they take so long for them to kind of um kind of get their like decide that they're even going to have revenge like it just seemed to be a like the the stuff happens to them in a really weird way but i did i did like it, I the, did like it. Like, the irony yeah. of that is how long it took you to get that out 
to get that out. Yeah. <laughs> but watching it on Blu-ray, I remember thinking this technology is a major mistake. Uh, like it's this is too clear. Like I yeah. thought, I felt like when I was when I saw that on Blu-ray, I thought I was watching like I was working at Seven Eleven and I was watching people through the security camera oh. in the in the store. Yeah, like it just had this really weird feel. To That's it. how I feel about 4K and that um that what is it they call it that uh, soap opera effect that they have going on with some of those. Yeah, like I it was just too it was too much. Like I'd be yeah. interested to see it now. Um again even on blu-ray just to well, see what it kind of looks like well but, i think um, it's a, i think it's a great film i think it's proof that you know kevin costner's not a one-trick pony when it comes to directing but that's a massive uh that's a massive tangent so let's move on um if you think you know what the movie title was earlier in the show uh during that tv spot that we played then email me at glenn at fakechamp.net and you might bag yourself a copy of cult girls on dvd thanks to umbrella entertainment and, and a massive thanks to Mark for taking the time to chat with us. We recorded that uh, interview last week. And uh, if you follow us on social media, then you will get a chance to see Mark sitting in the hot seat for the rapid fire video on Tuesday night. And uh, speaking of videos, our spitball video for last week never went online. I had some connection and uh, uploading issues with that one. So we, as a treat, we're going to do that one on Wednesday this week. So you're going to get two spitball videos this week, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, anyway, Ben, it's time for the recommendations. Who wants to go first this week? I look, I'm more than happy to go first. Do it. Uh, okay, this week I'm gonna we're gonna take a trip back to 1997, which was the year I graduated high school, uh, and we're gonna talk about a fantastic film called Perdita Durango, oh also known goodness. as Dance Dance with the Devil. Yeah, uh, right. Which ties in ties in nicely to the. Uh, to what we've been talking about in the show, even though I don't believe there's a there's actually there's no actual devil uh, uh, in it. But um, now I'm not sure if, if our listeners will will uh, be familiar with the name Perdita Durango, but if you've seen Wild at Heart, the David Lynch film, you'll know that Isabella Rossellini played the character in that film to great effect. And this, I'm not really sure how much of a connection to this it has, other than I think it's based on the same the same novel or the same mm-hmm. book kind of kind of series by uh, Barry Gifford. But uh, this one was directed by Alex D'Iglesia, uh, who has made some truly magnificent films like uh, Mutante Action and uh, Perfect Crime and Oxford Murders and uh, a bunch of other kind of cool stuff. Um, it stars Rosie Perez as Perdita Durango. And uh, her kind of offsider is uh, Javier Bardem. And this is kind of Javier Bardem, I think at this point had only done like Spanish movies, yeah. like Jamon Jamon and stuff like that. It was really early kind of appearance for him. And basically he and, he and uh, Rosie Perez go on this kind of crime spree. And at one point while they are escaping, they kidnap these two kind of teens uh, played by Harley Cross and Amy Graham. And Amy Graham, of course, is the youngest sister of Heather Graham. And uh, you've probably seen her uh, in a blink or you'll miss her kind of couple of seconds in Jackie Brown, where she's the girl working at the, at the mall at the end mm-hmm. that, um, you know, where they do the exchange at the end. Uh, and they basically, they kidnap them and, and take them on this, like force them to come along on this road trip. And they soon become willing participants in the mayhem that kind of follows. Yeah. It's a really good kind of road movie. James Gandalf, and like it's an early appearance by James Gandolfini in a, in a movie and he's the accident prone FBI agent who's tracking them down. 
um, yeah, screaming, screaming Jay Hawkins pops up and uh, he, he's like this great character who kind of wanders around uh, Mexico uh, with a car battery. Uh, he wears like a car battery on a chain around his neck and people can pay and they can, they can zap him with the car battery or he can zap them if that's what they're into, which is kind of cool. What he's a, also a, like a criminal. What a fantastic Alex, movie. Director Alex Cox kind of pops up. The director of Repo Man pops up in a cameo. Don Stroud <laughs> from Savage Streets pops up. Like it's a it's yeah. a awesome film and uh, highly recommended. It is available on on uh, Blu-ray uh, overseas, and I believe it is on uh, Amazon Prime streaming. I it, think it came at that time when you know ultra violent road movies were all the rage. It was such a good good era. It's very much a kind of a post Tarantino yeah. uh, film. Well, dude, um, my recommendation this week couldn't be any more farther removed from that one or the general overall conversation we've been having about the occult on this episode. It comes from the year 2020, which is actually more like the year 2018 or 19 when you go into the history of this film. It is unfortunately one that's been cancelled by the woke mob of Hollywood. All those social justice warriors savage this one, including two of its stars, uh, Timothy Chalamet and Selena Gomez, who both... uh, retracted their input and uh, donated their salaries. I'm talking about, of course, Woody Allen's wonderful film, A Rainy Day in New York. Um, whatever way you think of Woody Allen, that's one thing. Uh, this film, if you are, if you watch it as a Woody Allen film, it is vintage Woody Allen. It's like a return to that Annie Hall sensibility where characters meet and talk and spend a day together. Um, other characters cross their paths. It all comes full circle. It's real magic and it's sort of... Uh, a cross between Annie Hall and Manhattan, if you like those two films. But um, I saw it recently, fell in love with it instantly. Um, oh, I didn't I didn't realise that was out in Australia yet. Yes. Uh, Defiant were the only ones courageous enough to put this one out on DVD. So good on them. Huh. Is it on Is it on a streaming service? Is it on? It probably is, but I, um, I'm a completist and I collect Woody Allen films and therefore I just had to have the physical media, but I'm sure it is. Physical. It certainly won't be on Amazon, that's for sure. anyway here lies the end of another episode folks thanks for putting up with us cheers to jared adam and guillermo and thanks to joe chad and james from bonehead weekly and of course thanks to my wiccan cohort over there ben hellwig thank you sir uh no thank you and uh all of you at home thanks again we hope you enjoyed the show don't forget to find us on facebook and youtube drop by and say hi We're going to leave with another song from the Faust, Love of the Damn soundtrack. This one's called Everything is Untrue by Amen. Amen. Have a good one.